Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thanks, Lisa. I thought I'd give my voice a rest, because I lost it last week if you were here, if you weren't here. And uh, so I messaged Lisa and she's like, yeah, I've lost my voice too, but of course, happy to do it. So uh, that's our passage for this morning. When I go shopping, which I do sometimes for the weekly shop, I go to Aldi because it's the closest supermarket to our house. And shopping in Aldi works on this premise. You have a list of things you want to buy. And they have all of those things in the shop. And there's one of each thing. And you pick it off the shelf, if it's there, and you put it into your trolley, and then you get to the checkout, and then you race the person on the checkout to get it all through and into your bags. And that is how Audi works. Yeah? Any, any other Audi little fans in the room? Thank you. Bless you. Um, and, and I quite like shopping at Audi, both because I don't have to make any decisions, uh, and because I like racing people. And so my competitive streak gets out uh, when I get to the checkout. Um, of course, when you go shopping at Audi or Lidl and you know, sorry if you're watching. Um, they don't have everything you want. It's like part of the problem. It's like the trade-off. And so sometimes you have to go to another supermarket, and sometimes I have to go to Sainsbury's. And um, when I go to Sainsbury's, the same thing happens to me pretty much every time, which is that my brain melts. Because I have to choose. But I go to Audi, for example, and if I want cookies at Audi, I have a choice. I can choose cookies, they're here. This is what I'm pointing at on the shelves. I can visualize it now for you. Cookies, chocolate chip, about so big. Or I can choose cookies with like chocolate coated that are like luxurious ones, and that's my choice. When I go to Sainsbury's, I can get cookies, you know, small ones like I can get at Audi. Or, or the big ones, or white chocolate ones. <laughs> it's a popularity contest. Or oat and sultana ones, Woo, healthy ones. Yes, we like that. Um, I can get mini ones if I don't want big ones. I can get really luxurious Cadbury's ones. Thank you, everybody. Um, if I want something really different, I get caramel Biscoff ones. These are my favorites. Anyone want to buy me a present? Thank you. Um, you can also get stem ginger cookies, um, hazelnut and chocolate cookies, um, salted caramel and milk chocolate cookies, um, autumn edition in February, <laughs> blonde chocolate chunk shortbread cookies. Hello. Um, you can... <laughs> Vegan cookies, just in case you need vegan ones. Yep, excellent. Dark chocolate stem ginger cookies, excellent. 
Um, Oreos, vanilla and raspberry twist cookies, thank you. Um, maple and pecan shortbread rounds. God bless you. And um, quadruple chocolate cookies. Let's put these back in the bag. Those ones are mine. Which is why if you go to Sainsbury's, you can find pools of people's brains which have melted out of their ears and are now settled on the floor of Sainsbury's. Because I'm going to walk here. Anyone know that experience? When you just have so many choices to make for something that should be so simple and then it's painful. We look at the price. And sometimes that stops us buying them, doesn't it? Here's my point. I do have one. Our culture's approach to freedom requires unrestricted choice. Our culture's approach to freedom requires unrestricted choice. But here's the teaching. Unrestricted choice is a tyrant to our souls because it controls us by stealing our attention and refusing to let us go. We live in a world that tells you you must be able to choose whatever you want. But that cruelly rules your life by grabbing hold of you and refusing to let go of your attention. So when I stand and my brain is leaking out of my ears in Sainsbury's trying to choose which of the thousands of cookies I might like to buy, my attention is wrestled away from anything else I might give it. And that is a comical example of how it feels in pretty much every aspect of life. Our culture says we must have unrestricted choice, but unrestricted choice is a tyrant that steals your attention and refuses to give it back. Exhibit A, 24-7 news. That you watch until something happens, and then you watch some more to find out what it means. Exhibit B, infinite feeds on social media that just keep going and going and going forever and ever. And ever. I mean, I don't even know that many things happened in the world. But if I go on social media, any of the, any social, I can scroll forever. Literally. I mean, there's more content uploaded to YouTube every minute than I could ever watch in my lifetime. Uh, attention is dominated by a world that says you could be able to choose to watch whatever you want. We are ruled with a cruelty by the world around us, which says to us, you must have unrestricted choice. It's your right to have unrestricted choice. And so you fight for it. But then you realize that unrestricted choice is poison to the human soul. You see, it doesn't just steal your attention, but it puts onto human beings a weight 
that our souls were not designed to bear. Remember a couple of weeks ago, it shouldn't be like this. If our souls can't bear it, maybe, just maybe, it's not supposed to be like that. And it's doubly cruel because essentially unrestricted choice works like this. It says to you, and if you're my age or younger, this will ring very true. You can be whatever you want. Which sounds wonderfully freeing, doesn't it? You can be whatever you want. Here's the kicker. That means, number one, you have to choose what you want to be from myriad choices. And number two, once you've chosen, you have to make it happen. And if you can't make it happen, the problem is not with the world, it's with you. Because unrestricted choice is a tyrant that steals your attention and refuses to let it go. And it will leave you crushed by the weight of it, or it will seduce you so you keep going for more. Because it gives you something at very low cost, but the reality is it does not last. Know those experiences? This is how the internet works. You can go on your infinite feed, and you scroll till you find something that gives you a dopamine hit. This is physio physiology. Right? That's what's going on. You're scrolling until you find something that interests you or affirms you or titillates you, and you find it, and your brain releases dopamine. Or what, you know, the experts in the world tell us wherever dopamine comes from. I don't know. Somewhere in the body, dopamine is released. And we go, oh, wow, and it feels really good. But it's proven that within about 30 seconds, that drops off. And it's like sugar. It doesn't just drop back to level it. It drops below it. So then you have a hunger for more of the thing you just had fleetingly. And you go back to the place that gave you a spike and then left you empty. Unrestricted choice is a tyrant that rules us. And I want to suggest to us, friends, is it any wonder that in our world of unrestricted choice that we are covered by an avalanche of anxiety? Is it any wonder when we're given this responsibility and this weight that the human soul was never designed to bear. Unrestricted choice will either crush us or seduce us. It will lay hold of our attention and refuse to let us go. But the biggest problem is not that, but that in doing that, it drives a wedge between us and true life. Because whilst we're pursuing unrestricted choice and the promise of something far off, True life is offered and is near. True life, friends, is found in the face of Jesus. That's what we were designed to behold. And the writer to the Hebrews has just spent a chapter, you may have read this in the Bible, chapter 11, talking about the great heroes of the faith. People who have believed God and either achieved great things because they believed God or got free from things that would have held them back because they believed God. Speak, Lord. And the author to Hebrews now moves into this 
pastoral word. He doesn't want to crush us with the example of other people. He wants to help us to know true life. And he says, therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There are so many things that hinder us or entangle us in life, so many things that crush us or seduce us in life. And the call of this passage of Scripture is to throw them off. Don't let them steal your attention, but fix your eyes on Jesus. Can I give you one more example? I don't know if you've ever been on holiday to Europe. You get the like, lovely warm evenings. And you wear the shirts that you'd never wear the rest of life. And probably a pair of white trousers that you could never wear any other time in life. You know, anyone got a pair of white trousers you only ever wear on the continent? Yes, thank you. Preacher Adam. Some of you, I, I do appreciate you are far too fabulous to holiday in Europe. And you have no idea what I'm about to talk about. This is just a you know, cultural exchange. And you go out on an evening and it's warm, right? Balmy, sultry evening. And it's really nice and you're dressed up and you smell nice and your hair's done. It's a little bit sweaty, a little bit clammy. And you go to the strip because everywhere in Europe has a strip. And what's on the strip? Everything. Like everything you could possibly imagine is on this one road in a hot European resort designed for English tourists. So you have like neon signs that are offering you everything, you know, best steak in town, cheap family meals, best view in Spain. I don't know how it, I don't know how it happens. I want to find out. You know, signs everywhere. And then there's not just signs everywhere, but there's people with carts trying to sell you things. And so a man will invariably come up to you. Well, he comes up to me and he says, would you like a watch? <laughs> this is amazing. Would you like a watch? I'm trying to find some dinner. Would you like a watch? Oh, it's fake. Necklace? Make your neck go green. Would you like a T-shirt? That's fake. Would you like a wallet? Would you like a bracelet? Would you like a vape? Would you like a blah, blah? No, I don't want any of it. Souvenirs, would you like a fridge magnet? A lighter? No, I'm trying to find somewhere for tea. And you get past that, and then you've got people standing outside the restaurants saying, hey, do you want to come into my restaurant? Here's the menu, like literally putting a menu into your hand. Come in, we have the best Chateaubriand in the resort. You're like, I don't, I'm not made of money. I mean, I know I'm wearing my white trousers and I smell really good, but I'm not rich, can't afford steak. Oh, nice, reasonable family meal for you. Lovely food for the kids. We have Coca-Cola. You know that you know you've been here, not just me. Like it's literally a gauntlet of our culture, which is trying at all costs to distract you from the one thing you're trying to do and to do what they want you to do, which is to buy a fake watch. This is amazing. Going to practice. Going to beatbox next time I preach. <laughs> oh, come, Lord Jesus, help us. And if some people, I mean, this isn't me, 
Some people, so it appears to me from watching other people, because that's like one of my favorite pastimes, they go to the strip of the resort to meander through people trying to sell them watches, necklaces that will make their necks go green, fridge magnets, and to see who could give them the best sales pitch for their restaurant. I'm like, why would you do that? Like, I want to, I mean, I've been on TripAdvisor. I, I found like the best five restaurants in town. They're the ones I want to go to. And so how do you walk along the street if you don't want to get curtailed by men trying to sell you fake watches or other men trying to get you into their restaurant or eyes straight ahead. Anyone talks to you, ignore them. If they get in your path, you make eye contact for a moment. You say, no, thank you. Carry on walking. Yeah? Same in town when people try and stop you to talk to you, especially those Christians. Eyes front, headphones in. Nothing on the headphones, but it means no one can talk to me. We throw off everything that could hinder us, everything that could entangle us for the sake of the thing we're trying to get to. So we know how to do it, right? We know how to resist unrestricted choice when there's a destination in mind. And what the scripture teaches us is, friends, you will not last in this world if you do not fix your gaze on the place you're trying to get to, on the one you are trying to get to. Because everything else in the world is trying to lay hold of your attention and hold on to it for as long as possible. And if you let it, it will rob you of true life. See, our culture insists that freedom is unrestricted choice. And I could give you many more examples and I could make you bristle inside because it's trained us to think that that is what true freedom is. But friends, what I want to say to you from this passage is that Christian freedom is the single-mindedness that comes from repeatedly choosing Jesus above anything else because we know the kindness in his eyes. We know the gentleness of his touch. We know the majesty of his presence, the justice of his kingdom, the winsomeness of his voice. And as soon as you've tasted any one of those things, it does something inside you that ruins you for anything less. And so why would I walk down the strip looking at every stall of imitation goods, letting everyone try to convince me that their food is better than someone else's food, when I know where true life is? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Friends, The vision of Jesus and his kingdom is so utterly compelling that when we spend time looking at it, we realize that everything else is fake and an imitation. But we are surrounded by voices that tell us moment by moment that we should have the right to choose whatever we want that it feels a little bit odd to stand at the front of the room and say that Christian freedom is not that, but it is the power to choose only Jesus. If you want to be free, 
truly free, then what you need is the power of God that enables you to choose only Jesus. It's a guy called Mark Sayers who leads a church in Melbourne, Australia, and he puts it like this. I'm paraphrasing in case he's watching. The great challenge of following Jesus today is not secularism or persecution, but that we've been told we can have everything else as well as Jesus. I'll say it again because some of you missed it. The great challenge of following Jesus today is not secularism, nor is it persecution. It's that we've been told we can have everything else as well as Jesus. But my friends, my dear friends, that isn't how this works. Jesus wants all of you because he gave all of himself to win all of you. When we sing with our hands in the air about his love for us, it's because he has given all of himself to demonstrate his love that we could have all of him. In the Hebrews passage, he endured the cross. He suffered the consequences of sin that is present in the world, which he had never partaken of, but he took willingly upon himself so that you and I could know forgiveness and a freedom from sin that it gave him great joy to purchase for us. Did you notice that? It's for the joy set before him that he did it. He died a brutal death so that you could know freedom, and he was delighted to do it. But his freedom isn't that you could choose whatever you want, it's that you'd have the power to choose him and him alone. I went to the Jorvik Museum in half term. It's very nice. And one of the things that most stood out to me was that about a thousand years ago, York, which is where the Jorvik Museum is, if you don't know of it, was the second biggest settlement in the UK. Get this, 15,000 people. Whew. Smaller than Nairsborough. No offence, Nairsborough. Second biggest place. And what got me was, in around that time and the years following, many men and women left the cities of those ages to go into monasteries and convents because the noise and pressure of the world around them squeezed out the life of Jesus. I mean, there were other reasons for monasteries, history lessons another time. But it got me thinking, I was like, how do we end up so stupid or deceived that we think we can walk along the strip looking at everything, stand in Sainsbury's with our ears melting out of our, our brains melting out of our ears, our souls being brutalized by the world around us, which is hundreds of times bigger than a world that a thousand years ago, people went, do you know what, Jesus is worth giving all this up for, aren't I'm going to go live in a monastery and just pray all the time. I'm going to retreat to the wilderness and be in silence. How do we, 
How did we think we could have everything and Jesus? How did we think that worked? When the whole of Christian history is people retreating from far smaller, quieter, simpler places than the one we live in, because it was too much for the human soul and they just wanted Jesus. And we're not opening a monastery, nor are we opening a a convent. But the call of my message today is that we have to begin to be a people who work hard to train our attention towards Jesus and resist the lies of the world around us that tell us we can have everything else as well as Jesus. Jesus said, anyone who wants to follow me must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. And it's not to a life of nothingness. It's to a life full of joy and peace and righteousness, the very things that feed the human soul and give you true life instead of imitation life. We've got to get serious about what's discipling us. We've got to get serious about what's training our attention because I want to put it to you that if all we ever do to train our attention towards God is come to church on a Sunday morning and maybe go to a midweek group, then what we're doing is we're fighting 80 hours of one voice with four hours of another. And so the challenge before us is, is not like, where should, we, where should we build the monastery and what should we wear? But how do we wrestle back our attention and make it go to Jesus rather than everything else we're being offered? Because moment by moment, you're being shouted at, hey, want a fake watch? And every time we look, we lose a little bit of Jesus. And what I'm not talking about today is trying to earn something from God. You know, he, there's no more love to be given from God to us. It's all available. There's no earning here. But what we're talking about is actually getting to enjoy what we've been given. Because when we spend our lives looking at necklaces that turn your neck green, or choosing to decide which of the cookies to buy, we're missing out on basking in the goodness of Jesus, of knowing afresh life-giving water of his love for us, of looking into his eyes and rather than seeing the fierce anxiety of the world that bombards us, we see a gentle rest-giving love that Jesus has always promised his followers. Come to me, you who are weary, and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm just deciding what to do because I've got four minutes left. Hey, Tim, why don't you skip to the last slide? Some of you will recognize the triangle that we've talked about before. We've, we've often talked at the front of this church about how we're all being shaped and formed by something. 
and we're called to be intentional about what's shaping us. That's that triangle in the middle, three things that tend to shape us. The stories we believe, which is, is are we believing true stories or false stories? The things that we do, do we have practices in our lives that train us towards Jesus, or do we have just mindless habits that take us away from him? And community, are we around people who knock the edges off us that need to be knocked off? And it takes time. You want to get good at piano? You can't listen to an hour's talk and then be really good at piano. We were at a great leader's morning yesterday, and Dan was accompanying Hannah, a worship, and he just pinkle pronkled away. It felt like hours as it was a beautiful moment in God. And you're like, oh, yeah, Dan practiced piano every day after school his whole entire childhood. I can't do that. You give me a piano, I, I can probably play when the saints go marching in with one hand. I, and I had like three years of lessons. But that's all I remember. The things we do repeatedly over time shape us. And it's all in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It isn't that we now, Jesus has saved us now. We have to work really hard to deserve it. No, it's God has given us the power that we need through the Holy Spirit to say yes to only Jesus. I had a whole piece about this. We'll do it another time. Because that's my time. I want to provoke you to consider how you're training your attention. That's what I'm trying to do. I've been running... I was very provoked about how I was training my attention a few years ago. I have gone... I threw out loads of stuff that Christians for 2,000 years and followers of Yahweh for many more thousands of years have used to shape their imaginations and to train their attention. And I went, oh, I don't need any of that. We just worship Jesus. It'd be fine. Apart from, you don't get to just stand in church worshiping Jesus for 167 hours of the week. Like, I mean, you probably could if you came into a load of money. But most of us have to go and do other things. We can't just stand there singing songs. Most of us don't have our own personal worship leader at home. We, ha we have other things in life, and it's right to have other things. It's good to have other things. We're called to partner with God in other things. But how am I going to train my attention outside of those spaces? Here's some things I've done. None of them I'm prescribing to you. All of them, I hope, provoke you and make you think, man, I need to take this a little bit more seriously. Is that okay? If you're making notes, you can write these down. Training my attention, number one. Scripture before screen. What do you do when you wake up in the morning? I do one of three things. Number one, apologize to my wife for sleeping in too long and leaving her to do all the stuff with the kids. Or I pick up my phone and get lost in news and sport. Or I pray and read my Bible. Every morning, I have a choice, one of three things. Let me tell you which is the best influence in my life. When I read the scriptures before I open the screen. And always before I fall out with my wife. That's not worded well. What do you do first thing in the morning? Scripture before screen, that's one. Number two, if I see something beautiful, I stop to appreciate it. Even for a second, even for half a second. Because the world is trying to constantly tempt me with manicured, artificial things. But our world is full of beauty. Like you live in, most of you live in Harrogate. Have you driven along the roads recently and looked to the left or the right? 
It's beautiful. One second of, ah, it's beautiful. It's God's creation. It's good to your soul. Put it out there. Pause to appreciate beauty and wonder. See the night sky? We drove back from swimming on Friday night. You had the moon, and then you had Jupiter, and then you had Venus in a line in the sky, and the sun was set. It was stunning. I stood there for three seconds on the walk to the car from swimming. Wow. God, you're good. And then I got in the car. I trained myself. I could have been thinking, I really wish I bought that Mars bar from the vending machine on the way out of swimming. What shall I watch on Netflix when I get home? I chose three seconds. God, your creation is beautiful. Number three, breath prayers. I'm not very good at thinking about what to pray when I'm on my own. Confession time. I have to write it down generally. And first thing in the morning, I'm awful at praying because my brain is like in a fog until the coffee has got in and the caffeine has hit my artery. I don't know, maybe, whatever. I have a book with prayers in it. It helps me first thing in the morning. Just put it out there. Charismatic, full of the spirit. I'm going to talk about praying in tongues in a minute, but I have a book that helps me pray. Thank you. And when I'm walking around, I don't know what to pray. I've got little breath prayers just sending me back to God. If I'm waiting, I fight really hard, and I'm not brilliant at it, but I'm trying. Not for whilst waiting to do this. But to breathe in and breathe out and pray. So I've talked about a few from the front before. I breathe in. Here I am. And I feel how I am. Before God, I go, you are here. Here I am, you are here. It reminds me that God's with me, no matter how I'm feeling and what's going on. God's with me. I breathe in, you love me. And I breathe out, I love you. It's good for the soul, friends. Far better than BBC News. Or one of the ridiculous mind-numbing games I've got going at that moment. One of the most ancient prayers Christians have prayed is you breathe in, you say, Jesus, Son of God. Have mercy on me. Because mercy isn't a one-time transaction, but the continual position of God's heart towards us. It's not he gave you mercy once and now he's cross. He is merciful to us all the time. It's good to remind ourselves about those things. Breath prayers, I'll offer them to you. Number three, uh, four, I've started praying before I go to sleep. I tend to read before bed, fiction generally because I retain nothing. Currently, I'm reading Hamilton's The Autobiography that the music was from. 600 pages in, and my wrists hurt from holding it up at bedtime, but fascinating nonetheless. And then when I put it down, I'm just too tired. I say something along the lines of this prayer. God, I'm about to go to sleep, and I have no idea what happens for the next seven hours. It's true. I go to sleep. I don't know what happens, but you do. And I trust myself to your care in these seven hours because I can't look after myself. Help me to remember that the rest of the day too. Please heal my heart and give me energy that I can love you well. And I trust God to look after me. Does it mean I sleep all through the night? No. Does it mean everything is great and the birds sing everywhere I walk and that I haven't sinned for six weeks? No. It just reminds me I'm not in control of my life. Are you in control of your life? Like genuinely? The time we go to sleep is the most real (laughs) existence we have. Utterly dependent on God. 
One, two, three, four, five. Then we're going to worship Jesus for a moment. I don't quite know how yet. I pray in tongues regularly. Just walk around praying in tongues. If you don't pray in tongues, we'd love to pray for you to have the gift of tongues. It's a gift given from God that enables you to pray without having to engage your brain. Paul says it edifies your spirit. Your mind has no idea what's going on generally. It's a gift. I've not got to choose what to pray for. I just pray. And somehow I love Jesus more and hopefully look a bit more like him. Uh, Every week I go, I'm going to preach and finish on time. Is that helpful? What are we putting in our heads? What stories are we believing? Do you believe that you must have unrestricted choice in order to be free? Because it's a lie that's stealing from you every single day of your life. What do you do in your life? Because what we do does something to us. That's why we started saying the generosity prayer together on a Sunday morning. Every, t- every week we say something true. That's very true and very contradictory to the world around us and what it tells us about money. Because we desperately need to hear the true story as often as we can rather than the false one. And the act of standing and saying it together does something to us. Because the things we do, especially the things we do together, do something to us. And when was the last time you put yourself in a position where someone different to you could knock an edge off of you for the sake of Jesus Christ? We'll do that one for like a whole series. I was planning it the other day. Anyone want to love Jesus together? If you do, if you want to like to love Jesus together, why don't you stand? If you don't want to love Jesus, you can sit down. That's fine. If you've got kids in Hope Kids, someone's going to need to go and get them in a minute. And just warning you, if you know you're about to meet Jesus and you need a little moment, look around for someone who's sitting down that you know and ask them to go get your kids. Just consider, yeah, a little bit of strumming would be nice. When we pray in our meetings with the serving teams before church on a Sunday morning, when we pray on a Wednesday, 9.30 till 10.30, upper room at the village, when we pray at the first thing, we tend to start just by going, let's lift our hearts to the Lord, shall we? Let's just turn our gaze to him. I just want to encourage you, why don't you do that? Very simple, if you've never done it before, I start pretty much every time by saying, I love you, Lord. And I'm vocalizing my heart towards God, whether I feel it in that moment or not, because I do love him. And then I say, you're so good to us. Because whether I feel it or not, he is. I just want to invite you, why don't you turn your hearts to the Lord? You can borrow those two sentences if you like. But just look to him for a moment and, and love him. Friends, this is what we were made for. was to gaze at Jesus and to find true life. And we might sing in a minute, but you haven't got a personal worship leader at home. And we need to learn to do this. So we might not. Why don't you just begin in your mind to tell Jesus things you're thankful for about him. Call to mind his goodness, his faithfulness, his generosity, his unrelenting love for you despite of your repeated failings. My friends, he's so good to us. And we must get better at training our attention towards his goodness and faithfulness and away from everything else we could be distracted from in this moment.
you pray in tongues, you pray in tongues. Just fight the urge to think about something else. Push your attention back onto him for a moment. This is called prayer. It's not mystical, it's not magical, it's just prayer. If you know that you've been provoked by what I've been sharing this morning and you want Jesus to be more the centre of your attention, why don't you tell him? Choose your own words in your own way. I'm sorry I've looked at everything else. I do want you. I know that true life is you alone. Would you come to me, Jesus? If you know you need fresh revelation of who Jesus is and what he's like, would you come to me, Lord? Jesus, would you show yourself to me? Do you fill me with your Holy Spirit again today? Jesus. It feels hard. It's like learning a new skill sometimes because the world teaches us to flit around and do everything else but the one thing we were made for. we say before you this morning together it's hard to follow you sometimes because the world is very noisy and the world is very persuasive and the world glitters a lot but Lord we do recognize that it leaves us feeling empty we do recognize it leaves us feeling used we do recognize that it's never fulfilled what it offered to us despite of promising it would. And Lord, we believe that true life is found in you. Just say that with your own mouth, if you believe it. Come to Jesus. I believe true life is found in you. And we join with the saints of the ages and we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Reveal Jesus to us afresh. Help us to feel, help us to fall more in love with him than we have ever been before.
progressing together. If you know that you feel provoked, you want to leave behind the way you have been doing it, and you want to train your attention on Jesus leaving this place. Just want to invite a, a brave act. Want to encourage you to leave your seat as we sing. Come down, move the cookies out of the way. Find yourself a spot at the front and just say to Jesus, I want to leave everything else for the sake of you. I'm not sure anyone's going to move around praying, but it's an act for you and Jesus. I hope kids is finishing in this moment. So please, if you've got children, you do need to go and get them or someone else needs to go and get them very soon. I reckon 30 seconds of walking down, kneeling, saying, Jesus, help me, and go and get your kids will be honored by the Lord. So I'm going to hand over to, to Hamish and the band to lead us in a song.